I'm Garrison Doctor. And I'm Corinne Doctor. And this is Fishing Stories. Welcome back for part two of two with Yaka Lucas. Absolutely. We're going to pick up where we left off last week um, and kind of dive right back in, get into some saltwater goodness, um, all kinds of good stuff in here. And unlike most of our episodes, this one I would say, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, part one of Yaka Lucas, go back, listen to that, then dive right back into this. It's a seamless transition. You bet. You'll get the full story. Enjoy. We live in Colorado. We trout fish. That's what we're good at. And we've gotten lucky on saltwater. You know, like caught some baby tarpon. I hooked up to a giant tarpon that actually, here's another Yaku connection. Your, um, what's the show? The On Silver Kings? Yeah, Silver Kings. Yeah. Your episode on Silver Kings when yeah. those fish were just kicking your ass. I was like, all right, if Yaku can't land this fish, now I feel better. Because I had, it was probably like 120, 130 pound tarpon that I fought for 50 minutes. But it was immediately in like 30, 40 feet of water. <laughs> it just like ran off. Deep, Never jumped. Really, because she hooked it shallow, but it was on this like shallow beach and then just was able to get deep immediately. And then it was just a monster. And so that was a week before your episode on Silver Kings aired. <laughs> so we're watching Silver Kings and I was like, oh my God, I feel so much better. Yeah, that's easier <laughs> to watch. I tried to explain to my client the other day, I was like, you're going you're gonna to lose. Uh, we worked it out in this week in, in Mexico. We hooked eight tarpon and we landed two. That's a 25, no? Yeah, that's yep. 25% land rate. And that's, I honestly think that's what I mentally go into any tarpon trip now. It is, it's, it feels like once your hand goes and grabs the lip, it's like an almost impossible situation. Especially if it's a beast like that. I mean, yeah. yeah I, mean, I had only ever tried to catch and landed baby tarpon. So that was a bit of an right. adjustment. Well, you love this. The first <laughs> and only really decent sized tarpon that I've landed was like an 80 pounder. And we were down and it was like really tough conditions, terrible, windy, off color, no clarity. And we were just cruising through these like really back bays to try to find laid up fish. But it was really hard to see them until they just blew out of there. And I didn't even really have any shots until we saw this fish wagged its tail. <laughs> just a and, yep, just the tip of its tail was just sitting there. And I threw a cast and this thing turned and ate. And it was the only fish that I hooked the whole trip. And it yeah, not went a single red absolutely fish, ballistic. And I managed to get a good stick in it and keep it glued. And we landed it with one for one. 100% success rate yes. on big tarpon is guaranteed. some views for sure. <laughs> That, 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 the thing is, is the whole scenario around catching a tarpon is so chaotic. Like even, like even the baby ones, they just smoke it and then it's aerial and it's going crazy and there's a lot of time where there's no control and it's kind of a shit show and it's just, you never seem comfortable in the whole situation until it's like in hand. And if, right. you, if you then hook a hundred pound, or, I mean, an 80 pound tarpon, the jet is a, it's a big, it's already a big animal. I, it's always funny. I said to somebody the other day, we call them baby tarpon at like 40 pounds. That's <laughs> yeah. high rod fish. Nothing, nothing but, else is a baby at 40 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the scary thing is, is like in, and again, when we talk about, uh, about huge tarpon in Africa, firstly, everybody gets confused. Because catching tarpon in Africa is not something anybody would imagine. But we see 
those tails wagging, except it's connected to like a 250 pound tarpon. And then there's like, Crazy. like five males just cruising around her, just sitting there. That's like in the 80 to hundred pound range. It's, it's obscene. It's silly. I mean that, yeah, there's, there's some big tarpon out there. Yeah. That, those West African tarpon, it seems like consistently that's where the really standout big fish come uh, out of. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be going on a trip there in November. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's just trying to figure out how things will work to get there and all sorts of stuff. But my, that friend of mine, Arno, uh, Mattia, that's kind of fight near that whole area. He's still out there and he's, it's like, I mean, the tarpon are there, and they are there in good numbers, and he's still getting them really good, and it's a special fishery. I mean, apart from the gigantic tarpon, everything grows big there. It's big cabera snappers. Right. Uh, the guys from African Waters last season, they had like a week where they landed several cabera snappers on fly, on foot, over 80 pounds, and oh. the, the biggest one they got was 60 kilos, so that's like 130-pound uh, cabera snapper on a fly rod. That's like a, yeah, it's it's obscene. It's it's honestly to me, uh, that whole West Africa, Gabon, and all those places are so much fun to fish. It's tough. It's not it's not easy, but it's it's for me. It's like a very very special place. And I always try to recommend it to somebody, but I recommend a beatdown too, because especially if you're going to mm-hmm. try and catch a fish off the beach, um, it's there's a lot of moving parts to catching a big fish on a fly rod off the beach yeah um i love that that place is epic well yeah, you know we chatted on this podcast with johan yeah Dupree. i was gonna say you know johan and he chatted quite a bit on the from the beach yeah. at night scenario his which, stats were not good on no. on the hook to land ratio <laughs> horrible it's horrible <laughs> You can think we were getting beat up so badly. It's just like, yeah, you're going definitely with a knife to a gunfight for sure. But it's special. And the cool thing about Gabon itself is, is uh, the, the president of Gabon's really gotten into the whole conservation thing. So that is almost one of the most protected fishing areas now that you can get anywhere in the world. Like, you I mean, he really takes it serious and, and, he's, and he's made a lot of conservation areas and with African Waters and Keith and Rob and those guys, um, he's really... Like, I mean, they're working together and all sorts of stuff. So they're really uh, making it well protected. I mean, to the point where I don't want to like sound horrible and try and dig on anybody, but it's, it's looking, it's, they look after it better than what the Texans look after the Texas coast at this stage, which is kind of sad, although it's, it's, it's on your doorstep. It's such an amazing fishery, but it's sometimes painful to come back through the intercoastal and see the amount of fish that gets cleaned out every day. Yeah, that's, that is too bad. I lo- I do love hearing the picking up on conservation and how it really can help an economy. It can help, obviously, the recreation, but, you know, you have some experience with the Arapaima and all of the work that has gone into Arapaima conservation and what it's done for the economy and saving that fish simultaneously. I mean, it's amazing, the conservation stories that fishing can bring right and we've done the same in the Seychelles with Keith and them with a lot of work and and they managing to show the government that the value of a GT is higher to the fly fishermen or to have fly fishermen fish at them than actually just catching them and eating them it's so it's trying to get that ratio better and Honestly, like in Guyana, where, where your aunts uh, work at Rio, Riwa Lodge, it's hard to find a better well-oiled machine than that when it comes to, like, catch records, releasing. I mean, they, they literally, 
the handling is absolutely phenomenal. They keep that fish in the water all the time. Um, in some places, it's not actually, um, you're not able to do it. Like in Piro Ruku, when I was there, those guys also take a lot of care of those fish. I got quite a lot of flack for that big fish of mine being out on the shoreline. But uh, um, we kind of just had to try and get it away from the, there was like five caiman around us at the point. So we couldn't really sit with it in the water and play with it. Once we got the, the, the couple of boats to kind of chase the, the, them away, the caiman away, I managed to get in the water and the fish jumped on a, on a way out. So, I mean, it was a good release. All those fish that they do is really well released. But in, in the Guyana, I mean, they put a, like a, like a, a quick release clip around the fish's body with a, with a bubble, like a, like a um, float thing on it. And um, I mean, they follow that fish for an hour before they clip that thing off just to make sure it's, it's healthy. It's a, it's a machine to see. It's really good. That's cool. That is wild. I mean, I have no experience with our refinement, but I also have to think that absolutely you want to take good care of them and, and monitor that catch and release. And it's a pretty special animal. But those scales look like armor, and they do breathe air. So I would bet that their post-catch mortality rates, despite a pretty incredible fight, are not that bad, I would think. I mean, so, so they breathe, breathe apparently 80% air. So that's already like a huge amount of air that they, that they always have to gulp. And, and I mean, that's how we find them in Guyana. That's how you, you scan them. You like a fish has to come up. Yeah. X amount of time, poof, up, there he is. Okay, let's go target that fish. In, in Piraracu in Brazil, you, cause, so also another thing that people don't know is that the ones in Guyana, ones in Brazil are two different species. The ones Genghis Arapaima, which is the biggest one that you get in Brazil at Piraracu, and then you get the other one, which is also a giant in Guyana, but that's the Arapaima, Arapaima. Um, so that's two different species of Arapaima. But um, yeah, I mean, you, the, it's always good to handle fish with as much care as possible. And the funny thing that's not known about it, they look absolutely prehistoric when you look at them, but they are one of the fastest growing fish out there. They, they recaptured a fish in Guyana. They, 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 they tagged it at something like, I mean, it, this sounds obscene and might be, sound like I'm lying. They tagged it at 28 inches and four months later, they recorded at 54 inches. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that it doesn't actually count. A little bit less than that, but that's obscene. Like, I mean, right. it was, it, I remember it was to the point where he told me how big that thing grew in four months that I was like, that's, that's almost impossible. I mean, I know Dorado grows really quickly, but, but yeah, then you can imagine how those things speed. But it's one of the most phenomenal eats on the planet. I mean, when that thing sucks the fly, it literally, your rod tip, everything shakes. Like it just, it's just like, it's gone. You can actually hear it. And then you've got enough time to take one step back. And like my friend, Raphael, just jujitsu set the beat that thing up as hard as you can. <laughs> I mean, some of those set videos that you posted, like I, I watched say, them over and the over set. again because they're like, they're so dramatic to the point of being like really comical. It's like, there's no, like, you're just like getting after it. I'm like, oh my God, there's no way. Oh, he's still setting on this thing. Okay, good. That's the fun. That's so, so much fun because like in that case, the fish was kind of, kind of kept swimming, swimming towards us and man, you, you still lose a hell of a lot of them. I mean, you just keep sitting and sitting and sitting and like first jump, it throws the fly. And so, so you really went, once you look at that mouth, you still ask yourself where the heck is it possible to hook them? But usually it seems like you hook them on the top of the pellet, like on the top, yeah, in the mouth. So uh, it's very rarely it's in the scissors and stuff, stuff like that. So they always like vacuum that fly up right. um, and how they find the fly because the, Water, for the most part, is pretty murky. It's, it's, it's a bizarre thing. 
what a but I mean, like, I mean, again, this was kind of how things went to, we went to Bolivia on a back-to-back, we went to Bolivia on a back-to-back trip last year, and then uh, to Bolivia, and then Piraruku, and had a phenomenal week at Bolivia, as, as it would be, um, and then we went to Piraruku to go and do that fishing. First day, first evening I blanked, second session I blanked, just before, actually just before we went back to Lodge, I got that, um, it was just short of eight foot Arapaima, and they say like 322 pounds. Just to see that fish breach the water full, it made two clear breaches out of the water. It's a shit in your pants moment. It's nice. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that photo, uh, you can thank the Cayman, I guess, but it's like one of the better, like, glorious fish photos out there. Like, it looks like something that's from, like, an old like African mega game book or something, you know, it's like the fish is so big. It's just, you got to look at it again and again. I, I honestly, at one point I tried to put my arms around and I'm six foot three and I couldn't put my arm around the girth of the, just behind the head kind of area. So, I mean, it was, it was big. It was big. And, and, and they've called bigger. Um, John Sherman's got one of over eight foot. I think, I mean, the, the, it's, it's 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 a scary scary big fish and it's a lot of fun. I I, I love those fish. They're yeah, big. I'd love to do that one day for sure. Yeah, it's you know like like we spoke before, the jungle is just a special place. It's uh, I also think if you if you ever talk to Raphael, that's one of the guides there, and he's been all around the jungle. The stories you'll get from him in the jungle. I mean that they, those guys that live in Brazil and do all these trips, they've got some stories that yeah, that's that's completely completely wild. Oh, um, but it, but it's cool. I'm 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 supposed to be doing that Shingu River next year too, like back to back with Piraruku and Shingu. I'm really excited about that to go get those payara. But usually when I go on trips like that, I mean I love catching big weird like fish, but I like catching all those different species. You know, like I mean, sure. you wanna- yeah, we're the same way. Yeah, like, I wanna I wanna try it all. I wanna catch a tiny yatarana on a mouse. I wanna. See what else nobody like. talks about how sick the paku are like it's oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, you know i was the first guy when we were going to bolivia i was like okay yeah people are talking about the paku a little bit like i don't just don't feel like i really care like i'm there i'm i'm going to catch dorado like that's yeah. what i'm doing you know and it's it, ironically enough the first fish that i landed on a dorado deceiver was a paku Oh my! And just it jumped. Totally it was- random eat from a Baku that jumped, and then I was like, "These things are awesome. I'm into these." Yeah, and it's just that whole different look and stuff. Weird. Well, sight fishing to them is pretty spectacular. They got that place so dialed. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Before we leave the jungle, I do have to ask the giant Maturo catfish. Yeah. Did you see it? How did you catch this thing? Yeah, basically, I mean, there's a there's a this, this is something I also definitely want to do on future trips there because so what I noticed, so sometimes you get lucky and you see it in shallow water and he's there and especially the higher we hiked up, the clearer the pools got, the clearer you could see. Of Pluma Lodge told me that like every one of those pools have giant ones in them, both Sarubi and Batoru. And it's just kind of one of those situations where, I mean, it all came together because the, the previous pool down, I said like I just wanted to catch a Sarubi Lo and behold, I'm, I see these fish, like a fish running up. I thought initially, just looking quickly at it, there was a Dorado through the fly at it, and it was a Sarubi that was chasing from fish from one pool kind of up the rapids. First fly, I'm, I think I got it off point, wasn't on point, and then the second one in, and he ate it, landed that one. 
And then, like, I was like, damn, that's pretty sick. Got, a, got one of those. And then I think it was literally the pool after that. Uh, could have been the second one, but very, very close to it. Just, again, giant Sarubi, oh, giant uh, Matoru, there it is. And with the most thing with most, most catfish species, like in South Africa, we fish for catfish a lot. If you can get something just swinging past his whiskers, if it's in the right mood, they're going to just snatch it up. It's more of a, like a reaction bite. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that I, I usually see those things getting more tuned up uh, is usually when you get those floods. For some reason, the catfish also gets super like in the feeding zone and stuff. We, we didn't have exactly that scenario, but it was in shallower water, swung a fly, boom, and it's, yeah, there it is. That's and, uh, yeah, it kind of just that day just kept on going because we literally that same day we managed to get a big Paku, managed to get a big Dorado, managed to get a, a Yaturanya, and literally ticked them all up. And usually on the hosted trips, I do one day with Chucky when we'll go like, okay, because most of the time when I spend time with clients, it's like just taking photos and spending time with them, not fishing much, maybe just like swinging a pool just after they did. But um, I do one one day every time I go there with him and we just hike for hours and hours and then we fish for like two hours and then we come back down. And that, that was, that was uh, the juice was worth a squeeze. That's why I always say to the guys, if you're willing to just hike up a little bit more, do it and go and it might not be as much fishing time, but it'll be good. Right. Yeah, that's so cool. That's incredible. I mean, for people who don't know, this Botuto catfish is like a, I mean, it's a big jungle catfish species and they're usually at the bottom of these very, very deep, huge pools and runs. And, uh, you know, the, the Indians have catch them pretty regularly just, you know, on hand line and bait, but they're not, the suitor be the smaller, more colorful catfish you will catch on the fly occasionally, but the big Botuto catfish are rarely caught uh on the fly they're tough to they're just tough to target you know Korean caught like a 40 40 pound sudobi when we were there yeah that was a job so, so i mean i wish i had sight fish to that thing though that was total bycatch i'll take it, it. Was, I'll take it. it was an amazing fight though yeah it was just off this little ledge and the water had bumped like you were saying and it was so solid when she said that she was like oh I'm i on thought a log. it was a log so yeah. i said to the manager that I was fishing with Garrison was like downstream a little bit. And I was like, I don't know. It's a log. He's like, I'll go unhook it for you. No problem. And I was like, all right, fine. So he starts walking out and he's like, Fernando, the log's moving. Yeah, hold on, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then Garrison looks up and he goes, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like what is going on? Cause my rod is just like totally bent over. Yeah. It was why, like, I mean, their noses, their, their heads are so flat. It's so hard to move those things. It's just oh, not in a yeah. big rod. So. And it was a really deep run. There was a log in there, of course, that it was probably just sitting under. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was a wild, wild ride. I had to cross the river four times, and I'm not 6'3". I'm only 5'3". <laughs> so I'm, like, up to my armpits, like – Garrison's holding on to like my yeah, back just yelling and name <laughs> things like keep it tight in the back just because like I don't know what else to do <laughs> yeah did you think before any time did you uh, did once it started moving you guys immediately thought it was a catfish or do you think it's like yeah well the best part about this is we were joking that day that we were going to catch a surubi okay we saw multiple of them like shallow yeah just when like we the little guys down. and some decent ones too but never like in time enough to get a cast to them before they spooked so off. i was like garrison we're gonna catch a sudobi today and he's like ha 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 and then garrison drifted like swung a fly into this current and got just like a bump at the end but 
We never saw the animal. It I mean, felt weird though. It didn't feel like a Dorado. Yeah, he goes, what was that? And I was like, so do we, you just missed it. And it was not five minutes later that this movie <laughs> was on the end of my line. It was, it was meant to be, but it was so crazy. Yeah. But you got to keep that positive mind frame. That's what, like, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm happy to catch anything that swims around there. I mean, Oliver got that massive Vundu catfish in, uh, in Tanzania. Um, that's also like a super bycatch. But, I mean, it's all those, like, weird and wonderful creatures that dwell on the bottom that you kind of get lucky with sometimes. But, uh, but yeah, and, and, they, and they're all there. It's a kind of scary thought that you kind of, like, end up wading through all these pools, but those things are all around in all those pools because exactly. they're there. I mean, I remember when I was RA, when we filmed that one thing, I was like uh, holding one of the cameras to do some, like we were like underwater with the, with the little dugout canoes and crossing. And I stuck a camera in to just to film the bottom and RA just said, slowly lift your hand. And it was a giant caiman in a pool that was the side of my office. Just sitting there chilling, obviously not too, too, too worried about us. Uh, but the other thing also like those trips, when you see like the, uh, the jet, it's the jag jaguar track sometimes behind yeah it's such a cool trip such a cool trip that yeah you're like well you were just here and you will be here again you're probably watching me right yeah. now yeah yeah 100 percent. 100 i didn't realize until the last day that there's stingrays yeah it's I did you not swim up current you're like what this is not where stingray should be i did yeah. not have that on my radar at all which i obviously should have yeah yeah and, uh, i'd have been <laughs> walking a little different. Should have been doing the shuffle a little bit. <laughs> shuffle it. That, the, last, the last actually day that, we, that I was fishing with, uh, with Chucky and Bolivia, the, this is the craziest memory. We see this thing in the middle of the river and we kind of went, we were just paku hunting, paku hunting. Just, uh, Chucky just got wired. It's like, I'm on the stick. And it's the weirdest thing. We don't take any notice to this thing in the middle of the river. We kind of just assume it's a rock. Get closer to it. Still have no idea what we're looking at, but we see two paku like about 10 feet behind it. And we start fishing and this thing starts moving. And it was one of those, uh, the, the one that's uh, related to the elephant. Um, what the are they taper. called? Uh, tape, tapir. Yeah. Cool. And apparently, so this thing shot off and got shocked and we both like got shocked. But apparently like the paku would sit behind them a lot of the times because they, they have to go in the river to do their business. Yeah. And they leave. So the yeah. park was just having a ball there. And, um, and then we ended up getting a double up Paku too. And they walked back, all, both off the back of that, uh, of that tape here. So, I mean, the jungle never surprised. Like, there's always a surprise. That's awesome. Fishing off the back of a taper is pretty good, though. <laughs> it's weird how you would think, okay, this is an animal. You can't miss it. This thing wasn't moving. It was dead, dead, dead still. And we were so focused on those Paku. We didn't even – I literally whipped my camera out when he started running off just to get some shots of the, of the tapir running away, just that we got so close to it. Just a quick pause to talk to all my fellow whiskey drinkers out there. If you're a fan of the brown and not just the trout, I've got to introduce you to our friends at Lock & Co. They've spent more than a decade perfecting their Aspen-aged rye whiskey, and I'll tell you, it was worth the wait. Rye whiskey usually isn't for the faint of heart, but I have to say that this is hands down the smoothest rye I've ever tasted. We love it after a long day on the water or, you know, that random Wednesday night. Also of note, when these guys aren't making whiskey, they're out on the river with the rest of us. So if you want to support another Colorado business and enjoy some fine whiskey, you will not be disappointed with Lock & Co. You can find them at most liquor stores on the Front Range of Colorado, or you can check their website, lockandcodistilling.com. That's L-O-C-K-E and co distilling.com. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good place. 
I love it. Well, real quick before we let you go, um, give us a plug on on Texas and what you're doing, and um, and then I want to talk about your films a little bit too, and where people can get their hands on those. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, I'm based in Port O'Connor in Texas. Uh, that's why I do all my guiding operation stuff now. Uh, kind of cool. It's uh, It's got a variety of stuff. The reason why I like Port O'Connor is, is that it's got a, a good variety. I mean, you've got the classic Texas fishing, which is like 80% bread and butter of what uh, any anglers can expect to do. It's the classic tailing fish, usually slot size between like 20 inches to 28 inches, uh, which is great fish. You get these groups of tailing fish, very visible, visual fishing. So that's great. But then there are like the other element that that uh, is not seem to be done there as regularly. There's there's some OG guys there like um, like Kevin Townsend and and that he's been fishing for all those crazy fish for a long time. Um, but there's like the big jacks, which is still called a trash fish. I'm trying to find another name for them because it's super stupid calling them trash fish. Um, I agree. We talked about this briefly on the phone, but I have tangoed with a couple of like you know, 30 pound caliber jacks in my day. And I feel like they deserve more respect okay. than they get. <laughs> I think like I'm, I'm working still, it's a working title, but I think I'm going to call cause we're working on this big film, but I kind of, it's the plan is for next year's film tour, but I really want this to be like the, like the Cosmo and those heavy movies, like where it's like a mic drop all and, and give the fish. Like I, I want to kind of call it OG or something like the original gangster, just real sick fish. They do exactly the same as GTs do. For me as a guide, it is as visual as it can get, aggressive. I have them chasing bait fish into my boat. The clients are screaming and shouting, and it's all like the last seven I've hooked with clients have smoked. They've smoked every single one of us smoked us. Line wrapped around the reel. Uh, <laughs> line gets stuck to stuff, and it's just like, I mean, it's crazy. So, I mean, they, they, there's those. And they stick around for quite a long time because our water stays warm for such a long time. So I'll probably... I started getting them in March this year and I, I think they might stick around if the water stays warm enough until like I've seen them in November. Um, and then there is the big bull reds, which, uh, which is some special stuff that happened out there with the big bull reds uh, uh, kind of during summertime that uh, that's very special. It's, it's very, very secretive, but very cool. Um, but I have to take you out there and, Swear, swear, swear to silence. Yeah, you can blindfold your, us on the Your way. secret is safe with us on anything salt water. We don't We're know anywhere. Safe. I couldn't get somebody back there if I tried. I can guarantee you that. The funny thing is, is that honestly, I've been landing bigger bull reds. The biggest one I've had this season is 52 inches. I haven't landed. I haven't. And I mean, the girth on these fish, that fish was 100% over 50 pounds. I'm 100% sure. This is like on the surface eats, visual pumpkins, Louisiana, wow. Louisiana style stuff. Um, but again, it's very specific time, very specific, very specific, unique scenario that, that makes that happen. Um, and then there's the tarpon fishery, which unfortunately it's something we can't sell as much just because of the unpredictable weather of Texas. But, uh, I mean, we are getting 150 pound plus tarpon on fly there during a good time of the year. And, uh, and again, it's not, it's, it's not easy. Those things when they're around, they will more than likely feed and eat because I don't know, they're just super aggressive and you can use big flies at them. It's, it's very cool. So that's also another special thing about it. But like I said, it's very difficult to sell it because conditions have to be so specific there um, for that to happen. But I mean, right. I only found out a few years ago that Texas in Port Aransas was like the, 
investment capital of the world at one stage where royalty and presidential people would go to for tarpon fishing. And when you go to the tarpon end, there's that, all these little scales of like 120, 180 pound, 200 pound fish that's up there. So it's, it's kind of special there, but it did take a knock. I believe what happened with the tarpon migration is, is that they kind of go, when they migrate, they migrate down towards Mexico and in Mexico, and then they probably shoot back up and do their whole thing. Um, apparently, oh, a few years back, quite a few years back, they got netted in Mexico for fertilizer. You imagine like using 200-pound oh. tarpon for fertilizer that's like 100 years old fish. Oh, no. Uh, so that decimated the population. But, I mean, it's it's coming back good. And cause like we spoke before about uh, how we look after the fishery in Texas, I think they still have a lot to learn from it. Not trying to be a professional or anything or trying to tell anybody what they should do. This is just an observation I'm making from other places in the world where I've seen Mongolia, places in Africa where people are really getting into it and, and understand what value it is there, uh, what the fish mean. The one day this season, there was a couple of conventional boats in front of me and we were doing the bull red thing. And luckily I had super cool clients with me from Houston and they, uh, and we ended up like they were catching them, taking snaps, Instagram, whatever they were doing. And they're just dumping them back in. And a lot of the times they're fishing deep water for them. So they're fishing cut bait and they're bringing them up from whatever feet and those fish are blown up a little bit and very like, they don't know what's going on. So they just need to stabilize again and get them down to depth and we released like 10 in two hours of those guys that they were chucking overboard. And I think I got the message through to them because like they eventually started spending a lot more time with those fish and we kind of started talking and stuff. So it was a lesson learned for them without having to say a single thing. I think they were embarrassed being with their clients and seeing a, like a flight pole guide releasing <laughs> all their fish uh, behind them. Um, but that's the only way I think we, we, the best way to do it is positive reinforcement. You can't go in guns blazing and start going crazy on somebody because I think a lot of those people are genuinely really nice people. It's a generational thing. Like if yeah. my father always told me this and this and this, but he told me from an early age, we can keep these, but we can release those and, you know, just understanding the whole, the whole game. But it, it'll happen. It's a few years out. Yeah. And setting an example by doing it the way that, is going to keep that fish alive. If you're going to release it, yeah. especially if it's a fish that can't legally be kept right. because it's not in the slot or you don't have the tag or whatever, right? like release it alive and make sure it's going to be okay. Yeah. Because I mean, it, it means a lot. I mean, at us as this is trying to sound a little bit more like a robot, but that's, that's for us making a living out of it. That's, that's food on the table for us to uh, not the fish keeping it and cooking it, but food on the table as it making money and catching them and releasing them back in. But that is a really special fishery. Like I, like I said, when I arrived there the first time, the sheer number of birds and, and, uh, and bait and all that stuff, it's a, it's a very healthy system currently. And the, the, it, it seems to be doing well in that sense. It's just the numbers of fish being kept, whether they can keep the slot size, uh, size fish, even take, maybe even less fish, less trout or something. But I think people have the right to take some fish home. We can't get too crazy about it. Just, uh, just I think, just be cautious in general. But, yeah. the, you know, people are getting a little bit upset with seeing amount of uh, skiffs and stuff out. Um, and it can be painful some days when you see a lot of skiffs out. I, I can't judge because I'm only two years in guiding there. But um, I <laughs> like to see skiffs taking up real estate. Like we, we've got such a small footprint. The guys that are on skiffs there, let them be. They're also allowed to have fun. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's cool. 
it's cool though. I'd like, love to take you guys out there at some point. Yeah, um, we have only tried to fish one time in Texas, and we it was a story for another day, but it was a bad day. Okay. <laughs> so we need a redemption run. Yeah. <laughs> I think I managed to fun Yeah, it was rough. We had a broken motor mouth, and it wasn't ideal. Uh, yeah. Boats, you know, like, I mean, owning a boat, you immediately sign up for just uh, yeah. always go wrong. Not necessarily the boat, but motors and stuff. So I, I feel that pain for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Got to roll with the punches. Oh, That's man. for sure. Um, so on your films, where could people download them, buy them? How could they get them? So I've, I've got most of the movies that's been on the film tours up on my Vimeo on demand page. But in all honesty, if somebody reaches out and send me an email or send me a message and saying they want to see them, I'll send them to them for free. I'm not putting them up there to make money because I'm not going to get rich doing that. But I'm just putting them up there just for copyright reasons and for people that I've seen like blatantly download that stuff and use them to build up their profiles and stuff without even asking permission or giving credit. So I've got no problem with giving the videos away. No problem. I've got a bunch of extra stuff too that I'll send so they can email me on Yaku at Captain Jack Productions or send me a message on my social media stuff. Sometimes I'll be late on reply, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to send them through, but otherwise they can find them on Vimeo on demand. Okay. Well, that's very generous. And we'll put all those links up um, like in the show notes so people can. Right. And cool. It's very generous. I would encourage everybody to just support a little bit. Go to Vimeo on yeah, demand. Yeah, doesn't cost a lot just to support the yeah, art. Yago's got a lot going on. Go go on there. <laughs> That's gonna go straight back into the next movie anyway to get exactly. some. Exactly. So it's paying for our habit too of liking to right. watch your film. Is the original Gangsters of the Flats on there? Uh, it is, uh, it's the original Gangsters. So it's, it's always just been a short film, but that's on the Drake mag. <laughs>